Hi there, I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. Today we're talking about environmental toxin exposure and the impact on your health. Toxins in our environment impact our health on many layers and have been linked to many different chronic diseases that are on the rise like cancer, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases. Our food, water, air, and personal care products are a source of many of these toxins. And it's essential that we address this to prevent and address disease and premature aging. So I asked a leader in the field back on my podcast to talk about this. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who is a world-leading authority on science-based natural medicine, a term he coined back in 1978 as founding president of Bastyr University. He's a naturopathic physician, educator, researcher, and spokesman, and editor-in-chief of PubMed Index, IMCJ, treasurer of board of IFM, board member of American Herbal Pharmacopeia, and a member of the science boards of Gateway for Cancer Research and Bioclinic Naturals. He is co-author or author of six textbooks, including the textbook of natural medicine, and the recently released Clinical Environmental Medicine, as well as seven consumer books, including Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine and The Toxin Solution. As a political and academic leader in medicine for over four decades, he has been widely honored. In February 2018, he received the Leadership Award from the Integrative Health Symposium and in October, the Visionary Award by the Academy of Integrative and Health Medicine. In this interview today, we discuss why toxin exposures are something we should all be aware of, the sources of toxins and how to avoid them, and how to remove them from your body. Dr. Brazzerno also shares some case studies and success stories that he's experienced since the last time he was on the podcast, as well as tips on the most important places in your life to start cleaning out these toxins. So please enjoy this interview. And after you've had a chance to watch the interview, if you enjoy this or other episodes of The Spot Doctor, we always love to hear about your, your experience and see your reviews. You can hop on over to iTunes and leave a review of The Spot Doctor podcast. Really appreciate your feedback, your honest feedback, and your reviews on iTunes or wherever you like to watch the podcast. So enjoy this interview, and I can't wait to see what you think. Dr. Pizzorno, it's so great to have you back on the Spot Doctor podcast. Great to see you again, my friend. Yeah, so you were on the podcast February 2017 and talking with us about toxins, and a lot's happened since that time, so I wanted to have you back on to give us an update, and I know you've won some awards since that time as well, and being recognized, which of course you deserve because of all the time you've you've been in our profession and leading the way for naturopathic medicine and and environmental medicine many aspects of, of naturopathic medicine so so what you know the, what are some of the things that have been going on since the last time we we spoke well uh, thank you for the kind introduction and yes it's nice to re- have received some more awards uh, i think what i most appreciate is that they're coming now from non-naturopathic organizations that come from MD organizations, nutritious organizations, things of this nature. So it's nice to see that 
these concepts of our medicine, nutrition and detoxification are now being so much more widely accepted. Yeah. So since the book came out, um, I, I was, became more and more aware of the need for not only educating consumers, like I did with the toxin solution, but also educating doctors. Because ultimately, uh, doctors need to understand that environmental toxins have become the primary drivers of chronic disease. And I don't care how good your natural or conventional therapies are, if you're not dealing with the causes, you're not gonna get, going to get very far. And now toxins just dominate everything. So since we last talk, talked, there have been a couple of significant um, occurrences. Number one is, I was able to get together with my, one of my graduates, Dr. Walter Karinian, to write a new textbook entitled Clinical Environmental Medicine. And so what we did in this was we got together and looked at not only all the research that was available, but we brought in his extensive clinical experience uh, doing detoxification with patients. We also brought in my extensive experience doing detoxification in large corporate wellness programs. So we were able to bring a kind of a big public health perspective, bring in a very focused clinical perspective, and then add in all the science. So we created a textbook which just came out last year that I think is really, really important for doctors. So I'm excited about that. I've got a lot of uh, really positive feedback from doctors saying, wow, you made the case for how toxins cause disease. You show us now how to diagnose it, and you show us how to get rid of these toxins. So that's very exciting. <clears throat> and also along the way, uh, you know, people have been buying my book, The Toxin Solution, and now I'm getting these um, kind of out of, the, out of the blue reports from people who follow my protocols. Now, of course, this is anecdotal. These are not controlled clinical studies, and I'm, I suspect only people who were successful following my protocols were the ones who contacted me. Okay, so I want to be clear, not controlled trial. But the results that have been reported have been really impressive. Uh, so, for example, one person told me that they'd had diabetes for 15 years and uh, going through the conventional protocols, went to the natural medicine protocols, finally just said, okay, I'm just going to do a detox. In nine weeks, he got rid of his diabetes. Now, and it, and it makes sense because, as you may recall, as I looked at the research on the diabetes epidemic, my belief is that 90% of the diabetes epidemic is due to environmental toxins. So if you get rid of environmental toxins, you give the body a chance to heal. Because what a lot of these things do is, you know, everybody knows about insulin resistance, okay, metabolic syndrome. Well, what that is, is the cells aren't responding to insulin. And one reason for that is when you put these toxins, they bind to the insulin receptor sites on the cells, so cells can't respond to the insulin because they can't see it because the toxins are blocking the sites. So you move that blockage from the sites, now all of a sudden the cells can see the insulin and you don't have diabetes anymore. Now obviously it's only going to work that effectively in people early in the process, but nonetheless that's a good, a good sign. Yeah, and, and that's amazing. I talk a lot about hormone disrupting chemicals, these endocrine disrupting chemicals and how they bind to receptors and, and create issues. And what you're talking about is these are endocrine disrupting chemicals um, and um, and insulin is a hormone and so this is is this is working in the same way and so what we want to do is to reduce our exposure to these get them out of the body as much as possible right yes. and, and of course you we talked about this last time you were on but i want to um encourage people to about all the different hormones and how they function in the body and that these endocrine disrupting chemicals can impact our health in so many ways, right? Yes, absolutely true. So let me give you some more anecdotal reports from people. Okay, so, and this one I really like because it was such a theme in my book. So many people now are overweight and really, really struggling with that. 
And of course, everybody's saying, well, they're, they're, that being overweight, that obesity epidemic is what's causing the diabetes epidemic. But when you look at obese people in the bottom 10% of body load of environmental toxins, they don't have an increased risk for diabetes. But if you look at people in the top 20% of body load of environmental toxins and in the top 20% of body weight, 60% of them already have diabetes. It's not like they're at higher risk. 60% of them have diabetes. Okay. So clearly, you got to get the toxins out. So another uh, anecdote was um, a woman who said, I've been trying forever to lose weight, and um, it's just impossible. So I decided to do your detox program. Notice I didn't say she wanted a weight loss program. She, she wanted a detox program. One of the detox program actually lost all this weight without, any, without even trying. And the good news is that when you get rid of the weight because it's due to toxins, as long as you keep the toxins out, the weight's not coming back. But probably the most exciting uh, anecdotal report I got was from an MD. She um, had heard me lecture on this topic and followed the protocol in my book, and she had been suffering from systemic lupus erythematosus. So this autoimmune disease, as you know, is very, very difficult to treat, and people end up on these very, very strong um, immunosuppressive drugs that have all these side effects, so it's a bad condition. Follow my detox program, and she, she says, quote, I'm in 95% remission. So she still has a little bit of symptomatology, but 95% gone just by getting rid of the toxins. So now why would, why would get rid of toxins, get rid of uh, autoimmune disease? So I've always, I've always wondered, sorry, keep on going to change the thoughts. So, you know, I'm, I'm a true believer in natural medicine. I think our bodies have tremendous ability to heal. And so when I hear the body's developing antibodies to itself, that doesn't make sense to me. Why would the body do antibodies to get rid of itself? It's, that just, nature's, nature doesn't do that. Then if you look at the research being done by Aristo Bajani and Tatis Karazian, uh, a PhD in, in the DC, uh, uh, they showed in the laboratory that in autoimmune disease, it's not the body's reacting to the normal body tissues. It's rather the normal body tissues have now been bound to environmental toxins, so they've changed their character. So it's no longer a normal protein, normal enzyme. Now you've added these foreign chemicals to it that are now a foreign, make a foreign molecule. The body's reacting to the foreign molecule. So if you get rid of the toxins and eventually then get, you know, eventually we'll get rid of the toxins. So now we only have normal tissues you're going to dramatically decrease this autoimmune reaction because the body's now not having to react to these abnormal tissues. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And it is one of those things where you see people with autoimmune diseases and there are so many different ones and they're on the rise, right? We're seeing more and more of them. Yes. And why would that happen? And, and patients do say, like, why me? Why, why is this happening to me? So, uh, so okay, so let's go back to your your program and what what you talk about in your detox program what are the key parts of it that make it so effective thank you so um people have been asking for this so my actually my wife laura and i put together a lecture on how do you do it okay so here here are the key components number one is you must consciously and aggressively live a toxin free lifestyle what i mean is you've got to avoid the toxins coming in because you can do all these great detoxification programs, but the toxins are still coming back in again, you know, it's kind of like, what's the point? So for example, um, when we're looking at these toxins, some toxins are, let's, let's break down toxins, two categories, uh, what we call non-persistent toxins and persistent toxins. So non-persistent toxins means these are toxins by is really good to get rid of, 
all you gotta do is stop exposing yourself. A good example of that is arsenic, for example. Uh, we as a species evolved where there's many of the water supplies we consume had arsenic in it. So we're actually fairly good to get rid of arsenic, but not getting rid of a lot of arsenic and not from being exposed to arsenic all the time. So a half-life of arsenic in the body is two to four days. So if you stop exposing yourself to arsenic, within a week or two, it's all gonna be gone. The problem is so many water supplies in the in the US are have high levels of arsenic. Anyway, I can go some there are many toxins like solvents, for example. When you're doing cleaning and you're kind of smelling the chemicals, most of those chemicals are easy to clean out. But the problem is people clean every day and they keep getting exposed. Then we have the other category, which would be the persistent toxins. So these are typically new to nature molecules uh, created in laboratories. And they're typically created to not be broken down by biological systems. So once they get into the body, they stay there for a long time. And there's also some metals like that as well. So the worst of the metals is cadmium. Uh, once you're exposed to cadmium, the half-life in the kidneys is 16 years. So you don't want to get exposed to it. So, anyway, so you've got to avoid the exposure. I'll give you lots and lots of examples. Now, once you've avoided, got rid of the external exposure, you now have to get rid of the internal exposure to toxins. And most of the internal exposure to toxins comes from a toxic gut. The all-time nature past, as you recall, used to say disease begins in the gut because if you've got the wrong bacteria in your gut, they produce molecules that are bad for us. And because of all the antibiotics that people are taking, not only because they're prescribed, but now because of what's in the food supply, they're constantly damaging the healthy bacteria in their gut and replenishing it with actually very unhealthy and bad bacteria. So I say to people, okay, now we're avoiding toxins on the outside world. Now let's avoid the toxins from the inside world. Let's clean up the gut. They take people on a two-week program, how do you clean up the gut? Now, a big reason for that is not only are these molecules bad for us, but they go right to the liver. And so our poor livers haven't spent all this metabolic energy just getting rid of the toxins from the gut. So it has less left over to get rid of the toxins from the environment and also from normal metabolism. So um, after you clean up the, the, the gut, then we want to clean up the liver, mainly by making sure all the nutrients necessary for the gut for the, for the liver function are there and make sure we're getting rid of the toxins from the gut, et cetera. And then they would be done for two weeks. And then the final two weeks is clean up the kidneys. Now, 50 years ago, when I was doing detox for my patients, I wasn't worried about the kidneys because people weren't having trouble with their kidneys. But now, so many of the toxins, but also so many prescription drugs are extremely damaging to the kidneys. So now we have a kidney failure epidemic as well. And why are all these kidney dialysis um, uh, centers showing up all over the place? Because kidneys, people's kidneys are broken. So then we want to clean up the kidneys. And the good news is that the, the gut, the liver, and the kidneys have huge regenerative capability. So as soon as you stop damaging them, make sure they've got the nutrients they need, they will regenerate and you'll get health. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that completely makes sense. And like you said, if you're reducing your exposure and the body has the ability to remove them, ideally, that's great. Yeah. But what you're talking about is that we want to make sure that our gut, our liver, our kidneys are functioning optimally so they can do their job, the, how they're designed to do, right? So, and there are certain, certainly things that help support that certain nutrients. Um, you know, I know, I noticed you didn't mention skin, but there, that is definitely one of the detoxification pathways is through the skin. Do you recommend um, things for the skin as well, like dry skin brushing and, and those sorts of things? You know, that's a very good question, and I would say my thinking has not evolved in that area. So right now, I do the, the uh, skin detox through saunas, basically. Yes. Uh, I suspect, and 
I need to learn from you. I'm, I'm sure there's more protocols we can use to help with the skin detox. Uh, my preference is that we don't use the skin for detox because then you get acne and, and eczema and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, it is indeed an important detox system. Yeah, I mean, I would think that there are certain things we should do with the skin to help ensure that when you're doing the saunas, that that the skin is actually able to um, excrete the toxins properly. So proper exfoliation and um, support for the skin microbiome topically could, could probably help accelerate that. Just kind of yes. a little side note. Um, but, you know, I think this is fascinating about each of these different areas, the gut, the liver, and the kidneys. So let's start, let's go back to the gut. What are some of the, the key things that you find that really help with restoring gut health? So the, the approach I take to the gut uh, is what I do for all the organs of the body. And it's basically a very straightforward process. Number one is stop damage in it. Figure out what is causing damage. And then second is what can you do to help facilitate regeneration and proper function? It's kind of, I mean, the, I can talk about a lot of different steps, but it comes down to stop the damage, facilitate regeneration. So with the gut, um, the primary causes of damage are the wrong bacteria in the gut, the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So every time a person takes asthma, for example, they increase gut permeability. So that's, ca that's causing damage to the gut. And then it turns out that a lot of people are intolerant or allergic to foods that they eat. And um, people often talk about food allergies, that term is typically not used quite accurately. A better term is food intolerance. So food allergy means you have an antibody or immune, immune system reaction to the foods, whereas many foods have constituents in them that when the body interacts with those constituents, things happen which are undesirable. And it turns out the worst of them is wheat. Uh, wheat has been hybridized to the point where it's very high in gluten, which gives it more uh, higher protein levels and gives it the nice smell and makes a nice gelatinous uh, material for making bread and things like this. And that's all fine. But the problem is the gluten is high in something called gliadin. And for about three quarters of the population, whenever they're exposed to gliadin, increases gut permeability. So I've had so many patients with chronic disease that all I did was clean up the gut by having to stop all things that are damaged in the gut, get the right kind of bacteria into the, into the gut, get rid of the gut, uh, leaky gut, excess gut permeability, and then restore their health. So stop the damage. Then number two, um, establish healthier conditions. So by establishing healthier conditions, you've got to get rid of the toxic bacteria and reseed with healthy bacteria, and then you've got to give nutrients to actively support support the regeneration of the gut mucosa to get rid of the, le the leaky gut. Okay, and, and what's, a, what's an example of one of those nutrients? So when I'm trying to get rid of the toxic bacteria, I use good old golden seal. Uh, the nice thing about good golden seal is that it kills off the toxic bacteria, particularly the Clostridia family, which is the worst of them, uh, and it does not particularly damaging to the lactobacillus. So it's a good, good way of, of doing that. And then, uh, when you're killing off all those toxic bacteria, it's important to have something in the gut that will then absorb those toxins as they're being released. So that's why I like using fiber and things of this nature for that, uh, for that role. And then to help facilitate healing of the gut, there are a number of methods. Uh, uh, glutamic acid, for example. If you want to use a supplement, glutamic acid is good. If you rather use a food, uh, it turns out the cabbage family of foods is very high in, in glutamic acid. And so cabbage family foods uh, really help facilitate gut regeneration. And then there's some other things that are kind of unusual. For example, kiwi fruit. Who would have thought that kiwi fruit helps decrease gut permeability? 
So I think there's a whole list of nutrients that help facilitate the gut healing. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing some of those. And, and as far as then the liver, what are some of the things specific to the liver that, that, that the liver needs to do its job? So for the liver, the two key, two, two key factors, well, three, okay. First one is, you know, stop loading the liver any more than you have to. Because, you know, the less you load the liver, the more able it, it's able, the more it's able <clears throat> to get rid of uh, other toxins because now it's got more capability uh, available. So for the liver, first off, you have to make sure the nutrients are there. And the nutrients range from some things that might be surprising like iron. For example, iron um, is the core for most of the key liver detoxification enzymes. So you have somebody low in iron, particularly menstruating women, for example, they're going to have more trouble with those enzymes being formed because there's not enough iron around. And the second, you have to have the um, vitamins and minerals necessary for those enzymes to work in addition to iron. And in general, it's mainly your B vitamins. So since the vast majority of the population is deficient in the B vitamins as well as in iron, there's some simple things to do to help facilitate the liver. The next thing you want to do then is to help, you might say, flush out the liver. So these old, old age-old ideas about cholagogs and liver flush, things like that, they're conceptually a pretty good idea. Many of the methods that have been used are, are kind of flawed. So for example, some people believe, well, the way to flush the liver is to get eight ounces of uh, grapefruit juice and put in two ounces of olive oil and shake it up and drink it. Now, it tastes pretty disgusting, but it'll help clear out your liver. <laughs> and indeed, uh, if you look in uh, the person's stools, and I've done this, you look at the stools, you see these little balls in the stools, they say, ha, look, I'm getting rid of my kidney stones. Okay, two big problems. Number one is, they're not kidney stones, they're saponif saponified fats. Because a kidney stone is a hard, hard rock. The saponified fats, you squeeze on it, they go away. Because I, I mean, seriously, I've had patients bring into me and say, look, I got rid of all these kidney stones. And I say, actually, no, they're just saponification of the oils you just took. But it's worse than that, for example, um, it does indeed cause the liver to flush very powerfully. But if you've got uh, bile stones, stones in your, in your bile, bile gland, um, you got, I'm sorry, your, your gallbladder, you've got bile stones in your gallbladder, they can get stuck in the little tube that goes from the gallbladder into the gut. And so if you've got those stones and do that liver flush, you will induce um, an acute disease. And I've had patients do this. I've had patients in my office, high temperatures, extreme pain from me doing exactly that, where I either had to get that stone to pass or they're going to end up in emergency room. Now, the good news is that so far, I've been able to get every one of my patients' stones to pass, but they should never have done that to themselves. Now, the body can uh, dissolve the stones, but it takes time. So I'm not a great believer in liver flesh. I am a believer in things like good old uh, dandelion root. Dandelion root is a very gentle cholagogue that will clear the stuff out of, out of, the, out of the, the, uh, the liver and the gallbladder. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that because I think there's a lot of information online about liver detoxification and it, there's so many different types of, 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 of ways to detox. I'm using air quotes for people who are listening <laughs> because it's not really necessarily working and we want to make sure that we're doing this effectively and not doing more harm than good. A lot of times we're trying to do something really beneficial, but we can actually do some harm like you're, like you're saying. Uh, so thank you for, for, clarifying, for clarifying that. Is there anything else when it comes to li liver detoxification that people should steer clear of, that people should be careful not to do? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. The, um, 
the only one I've, I have had direct clinical experience with actually damaging people has been those, those um, big glasses of oils and, and, and citrus fruits. Okay. There's several variations, but those are the only ones where I've actually seen people get into obvious trouble. Okay. Okay. And, and what about, um, what about colonics? Are you, are you, are you a proponent of, of colonics? Unclear. <laughs> you know, um, there are a lot of people who really believe in them. A lot of the old time nature past did them, but it's always felt to me as somewhat unnatural. And so whenever something seems somewhat unnatural, I'm more skeptical. So I'm not in opposition to it, but it turns out that's not a therapy that I've used with my patients over the years. I mean, there'll be, there might be an occasional case where we had to do that, but in general, I don't tend to recommend that. Hmm. Interesting. How about, how about you? What, what do you think? I, I'm, I used to, when I first, when I first um, was practicing, when I was in Santa Barbara, we had a colon hydrotherapist in our clinic at the Santa Barbara Center. Um, and, you know, I never really felt like it made that much of a difference. And, but Dr. Walter Cranian, who I studied with, who you mentioned, was a big fan of that. And he said it was a really important part of environmental medicine detoxification program. So that's why I was incorporating it. But I, but I, I agree with you with your, when you're, when you're putting water in somewhere where it's not usually supposed to go, right. is that, are you actually going to take out the good bacteria? I mean, along with uh, what else might be coming out. Right? And um, so the, the point I've kind of made with that is the primary reason why you've got all these problems in the colon is because people aren't consuming enough fiber. I mean, I'll just be blunt about it. We evolved as a species consuming 150 grams of fiber a day. Now we consume 15 to 20 grams of fiber a day. It's not enough for a system to work properly. It's why some people, there's no question, some people get benefits from colon therapy. But I think that over the long term, they'll get much more benefit if they clean up the gut and dramatically increase the fiber consumption. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, so when it comes to fiber, people, I still think people think Metamucil, they think, oh, I just need to eat more whole grains. But, so what do you, I mean, and part, part of that, you know, there is something to, to that. But what, are you, what do you think are the best ways to get fiber? So there's no substitute for whole foods. <laughs> I just put it right there. If you're eating real whole foods that have been properly grown, properly prepared, uncontaminated, you're, you're going to get fiber. Okay. Now, because our modern um, food supply, <clears throat> even organically grown foods, have worked so hard to make the foods bigger and prettier and um, higher in levels of certain nutrients, every time those kind of things are done, they tend to get lower and lower in fiber in terms of the ratio of fiber to calories. So we do have a challenge. Um, to get enough fiber with today's foods, even the natural foods, you're gonna have a problem with getting too much calories. So I do recommend supplemental fiber, not uh, a large amount, not in place of a healthy diet. But right now, uh, for example, look my look at my, my wonderful blueberries, okay? Well, my wonderful blueberries um, are, are, are kind of small and really flavorful and gonna have a lot of fiber. But the organic blueberries you buy in the health food store are about three times as big as my blueberries, a lot more sweet, not near as much fiber, not near as much antacidinins. So I think you now have to take supplemental fibers. And there's a number that, that are available. Uh, and basically the only one I'm against is gonna be wheat fiber, just because so many people react to wheat. And yeah, I know wheat fiber is not supposed to have any proteins or amino acids on it, et cetera. I don't trust that. I see way too many people run into trouble with wheat bran, regardless of how natural it is. So I prefer other forms of fiber. I'm a little hesitant about rice bran fiber because rice has tends to have arsenic in it. So I'd go more towards things like flaxseed, um, 
a product I use called uh, PGX made by Natural Factors out of Canada. I, I've got a, a, I'm a scientific consultant for them, so I have a conflict of interest in recommending them, but I think it's good for the fiber. So there are a number of fiber, good fibers that are available. So I think people need to supplement their diets with fiber. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. And and then kidneys, that was the last place you said that's that was the, the kind of the third phase. Um, what are some of the really important key factors for, for detoxifying the kidneys? So this was a big surprise for me because with that with the toxin solution, that's the first time I, I really dove into the kidneys because again I just hadn't seen that problem in the past. And interestingly, as you may know, the kidneys have a huge uh, blood supply. Just lots of blood goes through the kidneys. And it turns out most of the damage to the kidneys, now not all of it, don't be, be clear, but for the vast majority of people, most of the damage to the kidneys is actually to the blood supply coming to the kidneys. Because it turns out those little arterioles, arterioles that are feeding the kidneys are very susceptible to damage and they tend to become fibrous. As they become fibrous, they decrease the blood supply to the kidneys. It turns out there's a number of natural medicine therapies that'll help remove that fibrous material and let the blood blood vessel flow properly. When we do that, the kidney function comes back. Now, I'm pretty early in the process of doing this, but I, I'm, I'm seeing enough that I think that the approach I've taken is making sense. So how do you do that? Okay, well, it turns out anything that we know that improves blood supply in general, it works really well for the kidneys. So I mentioned before, good old blueberries, ginkgo biloba, things of this nature are really important. But the other part is you've got to stop damage to the kidneys. And the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and things like Tylenol or acetaminophen are really hard on the kidneys. So I'm not taking never, I'm not saying never take them, but I'm saying never take them for very long because they are really hard on the kidneys. And if you look at research on kidney uh, failure, uh, kidney decreased function and uh, lifetime dosages of various anti-inflammatory drugs, you see there's a direct correlation. The more of these drugs people take, the poorer the kidney function. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned aspirin and Tylenol. What about um, uh, ibuprofen? Yes, all, all, all the non-steroidal. Same. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Ibuprofen is not as bad as Tylenol or aspirin, but they're all they yeah. all cause problems. Yeah, they all do. And also, they all cause gut per increased gut permeability. So now, what about the people that are told for cardiovascular health um, to take a, an, a baby aspirin a day? I think it's a terrible strategy. Okay. Now, this is, this is an unfair anecdote, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I used to be on a lecture circle with a, uh, a cardiologist, and, um, and he was telling everybody to be taking aspirin, and I was arguing with him, saying, wait, aspirin's not a natural, it's not a food, uh, and that as compared to other nostril anti-inflammatory drugs, I think aspirin actually is better, and it's gotten kind of a bad rep, but nonetheless, regular consumption is not a good idea. I said, eat salmon instead. I said, get your water, small salmon, high omega-3 fatty acids. You'll get much better uh, benefits than with aspirin. You won't get the side effects of the aspirin, you know, punching holes in your gut. We argued and argued and argued. He died two years later. Hmm. Okay. Now, what was unfair is he had a lot more cardiovascular disease in his family than I did, but he died in his 40s. Okay. So that aspirin strategy sure didn't work for that cardiologist. Yeah. And it is it, I mean, it's... I had the research on that, like, where does, is that, you know, I haven't really looked at that lately to see, is there, is it still being used? Are people still backing this? Is there any kind of evidence that it really does help? You know, I think there's some evidence that has some benefit, but it pales in comparison to the adverse events in comparison to fish oil, 
Mm -hmm. You get better results with fish oils without the adverse events. So yes, you can make a case for why aspirin might be useful. Maybe some very specific circumstances, but in general, not a good idea. Oh, I have a great anecdote for you of a patient who um, was taking uh, one baby aspirin a day and came to me complaining about excess bruising. Now, this has been going on for three years. And you know, I'm a, I'm a really smart clinician. I went through everything I could think of about how to get her to stop, uh, stop bruising so much. And then one day, she decided to stop taking that baby aspirin. And all the bruising went away. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh God, why did I think of that sooner? <laughs> okay, Because <laughs> I was looking at you know, vitamin C and carotenoids and flavonoids. I mean, you know, all the things you would think of, like how you make the blood vessel stronger. No, it was, she was being damaged too much from the aspirin. One baby aspirin a day was enough to cause her to have all this uh, excess bruising. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's amazing how often I've over the years I've had patients and I'm sure you have too that they come in with symptoms like kind of like this situation and and we look at everything that's going on it really one of the biggest things is a medication that they're on and they're actually having side effects that they never even knew were related to that medication uh, because they either maybe they didn't hear the doctor explain that or maybe they were never told um, and never looked up be, uh, because I, I think people forget about all the different possible side effects that can happen from taking medications. And that's one of the things is looking for the root cause. Is it actually a medication that somebody's on? Is it a side effect of that medication? And oftentimes I've, I've seen that that's a, a, at least a contributing factor to people's symptoms. Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a really scary one. So a good friend of ours, an older man uh, whose life has been saved by conventional medicine. Thank you, conventional medicine. Um, but he was having really bad arrhythmias. So and they couldn't figure out what was happening. And uh, so they did this ablation thing where they go in and they burn the spots in the heart that are being the focal point of the, uh, of the arrhythmias he's having. And it didn't help. So he asked us for help. So we said, okay, first off, what are all the drugs you're taking? So he's taking an anticoagulant because of heart problems. Looks at the anticoagulant. And what is the number... I forgot the exact numbers, but one of, one of the most common adverse events with this drug or side effects was cardiac arrhythmias. So the drug he was taking was causing cardiac arrhythmias. They burned the spots in his heart uh, to try to get rid of it, but since they weren't dealing with the cause, they weren't able to get rid of it. And it's just, just appalling. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, we recommend it. So, okay, fine. You need the anticoagulant. Where's an anticoagulant that does not cause heart arrhythmias? It's just, mm. you know, I'm, to my MD friends, uh, think through the results of your interventions. Mm -hmm. so sometimes they're not doing what you're, what you're really thinking. All right. And of course, we're not saying that people should never use conventional medicine. It, there are certainly saves lives. It can help. Um, it's, it's like, let's, let, let's get to the root cause first. Let's remove the obstacles to healing. Let's do that first and then look at what, you know, how medications might help help support yeah. someone when it's necessary. Um, but there's so much else we can do to help support the body. And, yes. and I know you and I kind of are all over the place <laughs> what we're talking about, but we're going back to toxins is that, and that being one of the big root causes that gets in the way of people's, the people's ability for their, their bodies to heal, to do what they're designed to do. So I'm going to be a bit pejorative here. And I want to be very clear. I'm not anti-conventional medicine but an anti-healthcare system, which is only conventional medicine. So one of the things I love doing in my home, uh, Laura and I, is uh, we host student leadership dinners. And what we do is 
we bring in a, a couple of uh, really successful graduates or other experts uh, in medicine to talk to the students about, you know, what does future medicine look like and how can you be leaders and what are the challenges? So we, we have these wonderful conversations. So the doctor, actually just a couple of days ago, we just had one, and the doctor uh, brought in a case of a patient with uh, a thyroid, whose thyroid was failing. And um, their TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, was at 4.4, and, and on this lab, the normal range was up to 4.5. So the doctor said to the patient, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Uh, just, let's just watch it, come back in, in six months and see what happens. What's happened is the doctors wait until it gets worse to then they can then justify the drugs. Rather than saying, well, why is it already at the very top of the end? What's going on metabolically is not working properly. And well, let's see if we fix those. Now, if we can't fix those, fine, let's go to the drug. But most of the times, the cause of the dysfunction is identifiable, a toxin typically, or a nutrient deficiency, fix that, and the problem goes away. But so often, the conventional medicine waits until the body's so far damaged to do the intervention rather than dealing with the body early in the process where it's much easier to fix things. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay. So to, to help people with reducing their exposure to toxins, can you give some general tips of the most important places to, to think about when reducing exposure to toxins? So the, there's two answers to that. So the general answer is most of the toxins come from our food supply. Now, either directly from how the foods are being produced or indirectly from leaching of chemicals from the packaging materials into the foods. So that is kind of something which must be, must be controlled. Um, but having said that, you also have to recognize that some people may be in an area of the country where there's something in the environment that's independent of the food supply that must be paid attention to. And the one which I actually I'm working on, I'm giving a lecture in London and in Moscow in September. and um, I'm actually looking at the research on this right now. And boy, the research on arsenic is just stunning. Uh, I would say right now, arsenic is probably the major cause of cancer in the world. Okay, I'm not saying it's the only cause, but I now think it's the major cause of cancer. So if you're living in an area where there's a lot of arsenic in the water supply, that actually may be the most important thing you need to do immediately. So it turns out that the most of the best research on uh, arsenic causing problems is looks at the amount of arsenic in the water supply. Now, I think there's other, there are, are other sources of arsenic, and I'm not going to say the arsenic in the water supply is the most important, but right now it clearly has the most research. I'm going to say right now at this point, it's probably the most important, but I'm not sure. So the threshold um, <clears throat> for the amount of arsenic in the water supply to start increasing the risk of disease is about 10 micrograms per liter of water. Turns out that 10% of the public water supplies in the United States have more than 10 micrograms of arsenic per liter of water, and only half the water supplies have reported the arsenic levels. Why? So testing for arsenic is like a $20 test. Why have these public water supplies not tested for arsenic? I would assert, and this is kind of a mean thing for me to say, I would assert that they tested it and found the arsenic and didn't report it because it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to get arsenic out of the water supply. So we have a lot of people with high levels of arsenic. And there are some areas where the people are, are, are drinking well water and the well water is contaminated. And one of the worst areas for that turns out to be in Maine. Uh, in Maine, there are water supplies that have been shown to have 50 to 3,000 micrograms of arsenic per liter. 
Now that was fairly easy to spot after people start paying attention because you get all these diseases, these, all these increased diseases within those areas, and the researchers were able to track it down to the arsenic in the water supply. Right now, 35% of people in the United States have arsenic levels in their body known to induce disease. So food for the average person is the primary source, but you better check your water supply to see if there's arsenic in it. Because if it is, that's by far the first thing you've got to do, and you've got to do it now. So, so I know, and where I live in Park City, Utah, there's high, high amounts of arsenic in the water. And people might think, oh, you know, it's just a little mountain town. Why would it have arsenic? But it used to be a mining town. And mm -hmm. because of, of what's kind of remains from the, the mining, that means there's high arsenic in the water. So mm -hmm. I, of course, talk to all my patients about getting reverse osmosis water filter, filters to drink, but I also recommend a whole house filtration system or putting it on your shower, your bath, because yes. we're absorbing it through the skin as well. Do you yes. um, also recommend that too? Yes, so I recommend a carbon block whole house filters. Because as you said, in terms of all those chemicals and such, uh, you, you take a shower, hot shower, you're breathing them in. Mm -hmm. and so it's really important to um, do a whole house water supply everywhere that comes in. Now the problem is carbon block filter will not clear out arsenic. So as you know, pretty much the only way to get rid of arsenic is reverse osmosis or, or distillation, which are, which are expensive and difficult processes. Yeah. Um, okay, so water filters, um, both for drinking and for home, for showers, and um, eating organic foods, being making sure you have clean sources of food. Right. And, and make sure the storage of those foods is done safely as well. Because you go get a, band, a can of organic beans, well, that can is lined with plastic with bisphenol A in it, and there's a bunch of, bunch of bisphenol A. So you've got to be, pay attention to the packing materials as well. And it's so hard because you, it, you know, it's we go to the grocery store to buy stuff. Everything's in plastic or cans, um, you know, except for the produce. But even, but even some of the produce and the meats and and cheeses and you know all the different things that we're we're eating, they're they're wrapped in plastic. They're stored in things. I know that I see a lot of time at Whole Foods. I see or the health food stores. I see them switching away from cans to the cartons. But what are the cartons lined with? So um, I initially was very concerned about the cartons, but it turns out they are lined, they're the tet carton, cartons, or the tetra pack carton, uh, uh, containers um, are indeed lined with plastic, but it looks like the plastic doesn't leach. So right now I am saying they're probably okay. I'm going to delve more deeply. But if your choice is between a can or one of these uh, tetra packs, I, I definitely am supporting the Tetra Pak in, in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what? And then when you get food home, storing them in and glass and and porcelain, and that that's the best way to do it. And when you're cooking material, cooking your foods, uh, you don't want to use Teflon coated things. Uh, you want to use stainless steel. There are some hard ceramics out now that look like they don't leach into the food supply. So the good news is that more and more of the public is looking for these safer cooking. Um, uh, utensils and they are becoming available to us which is good so you look in our house there's no plastic containers there's still one teflon coated fry pan that we very very rarely use but to be honest with you there's still one in our left in our house we'll get rid of it eventually be honest. <laughs> right. uh, but other than that we have removed virtually everything from our house and our environment that we can that is a source of toxins I and mean, we've been really really aggressive at it yeah yeah 
And like you said, it depends on where you live, um, your hobbies, right? Your hobbies, your work environment. Those sorts of things are also places of exposure, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then of course, I'm going to add in the personal care products in there as, as an important thing to look at because especially for women, we use so many that it's important. I mean, there, there are things like Teflon in, in, in lotions and makeups and, and we, we don't need that extra exposure, right? Your big ones are food, air, no, food, water, health and beauty aids, air, uh, health and, and cleaning products. And so we, didn't, we haven't talked about air. So when you're living in a place like Park City, Utah, which is gorgeous, we, Laura and I have been there, we've gone hiking there, we just, we just love a beautiful area. In general, you're probably not going to have a lot of air pollution. I can't say that for sure, but when we were there, it was pretty clean. But if you live in a city uh, or li live within 100 yards of a major highway, you get a lot of air pollution. And what these things are is the air pollution is high in particulate matter. So we see a diesel truck going down the road, you see the kind of blue-black smoke coming out. Well, that's pretty bad stuff. So it's, it's full of particulate matter. And what makes that problematic is particulate matter binds to the hydrocarbons in the, um, in the, in the, in the, might say the gasoline waste products. And those hydrocarbons are very, very toxic, carcinogenic, et cetera. And so by binding to those small particles, when you breathe it, those small particles actually are able to penetrate the lungs and get into the body. Something called 2.5 micron. Anything smaller than 2.5 microns in, in diameter goes deeply into the body. And animal research has shown that if you put an animal, this is known in rabbits, put an animal in an environment with high particulate matter, within one hour, those particulate matter is actually found in the brain. Oh, so these things bring those toxins into the body more efficiently and then distributes it everywhere. So one of the things I also recommend is if you've got a whole house air conditioning system, put on a good filter. The filters are ranked according to their ability to filter the air and how much they decrease the amount of air going through. And so we use something called a MERV 16. Walter and I recommend at least MERV 8 in our textbook, The Clinical Environmental Medicine. In our home, we put in the MERV 16. And what that means is that it clears out 99% of the toxins within a single pass. So we run this year-round all the time. And we had a couple of interesting observations. We've been doing this now for just about two years. And two things have happened which are quite remarkable. Number one is the house is cleaner. We don't have to dust as much. There's simply not as much dust. And the other one, which was such a, such a clear objective measure, is every couple of years we've had to clean the refrigerator cooling coils because they get filled up with dust. Everybody with refrigerator, you should know, you're supposed to clean these things out at least every year. Okay, so we're, every year or two we do it. And there's, you know, if, it's, if we do it in a year, it's about an eighth of an inch of dust. If we do it two years, about a quarter of an inch of dust, at which point you waste a lot of electricity because you can't get rid of the heat for effectively. So this year when we went to clean our refrigerator cooling coils, they had no dust. Hmm. So first time ever, it was just stunning. So, if the house air filtration system is not clearing all that dust out, who is? Well, our lungs are clearing that dust out. And that dust is full of all kinds of bad chemicals and, and metals and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, this has been a fantastic. Always great to catch up with you. And I know we've covered a lot today. Um, and so, but I want to go back to what you talked about. You talked about a textbook. And I know that's, that's uh, Dr. Walter Crinion and you did this textbook together. And it's really designed for practitioners. For, so for the people that are practitioners that are listening, watching, where I want you to tell 
everybody where they can find it. But before I do, I just want to say um, how devastated I am and uh, that we've lost Dr. Walter Crinion. He passed away this this, this past year. Yes. And uh, what a loss that is Terrible. to our profession and really to the world because of his the, the way that he was so... Uh, such a pioneer and uh, just working so hard on environmental medicine and getting that awareness and yes. trying things that nobody else was willing to do yes. with himself and his patients. And so I think, um, I, you know, I just want to recognize him and, and I know that you must have gotten to know him really well with how closely you work together on this book. So, so Walter was a graduate of our very first class at Bastyr. So I've known, I've known Walter for, you know, for a very long period of time. And I'm so grateful that we were able to get the textbook done before he passed away. But I think he's a good example of what happens to pioneers. Because as he's going through that early process of learning how to get toxins out of his patients' body, bodies, I think he was being exposed to their toxins. And because I look at what he died of, I don't think it's proper for me to talk in a public forum about what happened. It sure looks to me like he died from the damage done to his body from the toxins coming out of his patients. That's what it looks to me like. And it's very unfortunate. Nonetheless, um, we've got a lot of great information in the textbook. Okay, great. So tell everybody where they can find the textbook if they're looking for Oh, so Amazon. Just put Pizorn at Amazon and uh, the consumer book, The Toxic Solution, comes up and the textbook comes up, Clinical Environmental Medicine. And the good news is that it's done very well as a textbook. Okay. Uh, in the first year, over a thousand doctors bought a copy of the textbook, which for a textbook is actually, a new textbook is really quite good. So the good news is that it tells me doctors are starting to pay attention. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, and tell everybody your website where they can find more about you. Uh, DrPizzorno.com. And unfortunately, I'm not very good at maintaining my website. So D-R-P-I-Z-Z-O-R-N-O.com. All right. Or just pick up one of your, one of your many books, especially this last one, The Toxin Solution. Okay. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate the interview. Great talk with you, my friend. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, and you can hop over to Amazon to find his books, and also you can find the transcripts and more information on thespotdoctor.com on the podcast page below his interview. You'll find all the, the transcripts, the information there. And while you're there at thespotdoctor.com, I encourage you to join our community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. And if you haven't already found out your skin type, you can go to theskinquiz.com. Find out what messages your skin is trying to tell you about your health. Believe it or not, your skin is trying to talk to you and give you messages. So you can find out what it's trying to tell you, what your skin personality type is at theskinquiz.com and get real solutions for your health and your skin. Also, I invite you to join me on social media, on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Join the conversation there. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast.